Welcome to episode five of Married to India. Hey guys, this is where we're going to talk a little bit about meeting my in-laws. So for the first time, I was able to meet my in-laws. I had never spoken to them over the phone or had any interaction with them before this. Um, as a matter of fact, I didn't even really know the process of going to or from India and how the visas worked and stuff like that. Because again, folks, I'd never left the country, never had a reason to apply for a passport or any type of visa in the past. And so we had learned, or not we, but I had learned the whole process of how this worked. And it was very quickly that my in-laws, um, it went from their coming to their here. And it was the month of I believe it was November, um, beginning of December of 2000, when they had arrived at um, Dulles International Airport, and we started getting ready to go pick them up. And I just remember feeling as big as a house, you know, I was due to have our first son um, there shortly, probably within the, the next month. And I was just heavy. I suffered greatly from like a nodular cystic uh, pregnancy kind of acne. It was horrible. I just was so like, I was as big as a house. Like I literally felt that I was in like a big black overcoat. You know, I'm getting Brittany ready because she's going to the airport with us. And then of course, you can see this angst in Serena as he's trying to get everything ready um, to go receive his parents and we go to the airport. Actually, let me correct that because we did not pick them up at Dulles. Uh, we actually picked them up at Reagan. And the reason why now that's coming back to me is the awkward car ride um, from Reagan all the way back to Fairfax was just like... It, it was a tough one. And so we got to the airport and we're waiting and we're waiting. And I'm definitely nervous because I don't know what to expect. I've seen pictures of Srinu's parents, but I've never, again, um, had any interaction with them. So they get off the plane and they're these two really tiny people. You know, Srinu and his brother, for anybody who... Um, doesn't know them or, or maybe you've seen pictures, but you can't really relate. Srinu's like six foot tall and his brother's like six, two, six, three. So bigger boys, as far as the height thing goes. And when they got off the plane, they were just like these two pocket sized people that I was like, these are his, his parents. And you know, my mother-in-law, she looks so sad. Um, obviously happy and dropped tears when she saw her son, but so sad. My father-in-law, very stoic, you know, he, he didn't really, there wasn't a whole lot of emotion. He, he's, his eyes, maybe there was some tearing up there, but dare he not drop one. Um, and again, we, we gathered all their stuff, packed up the car and drove back. And it was the quietest, like I said, most awkward, uncomfortable, um, drive I've ever been on in my life. Um, Brittany was definitely chit-chatting, you know, she's little, she doesn't know any better. She's, I don't think that she understood or felt the vibe that was going on in the car. So for her, it was that innocence of a child. You know, sometimes I wish that we could bottle that up and sell it to everybody, but, uh, that innocence of a child, she was probably the one carrying on conversations in the car. And I really didn't understand like what my mother-in-law understood, didn't understand. So it was really, I didn't know, I didn't know how to talk to them. And, uh, it was it was a learning curve for all of us in a lot of ways as far as like how I should talk to my mother-in-law, what to talk to her about, what she could understand. My father-in-law, on the other hand, uh, is a professor, so he speaks very good English, um, proper British English, if you will. So he's got very good um, uh he, he's just very good at speaking English. Sometimes I felt like I wasn't even worthy to speak this language because he's just his vocabulary and the way that he spoke was just so 
um, beautifully done. It's one of those things where you would love to just sit there and listen to him speak because how he spoke was very well versed. So we get back to the apartment and, you know, we're on like the third floor. So we're going up and we're climbing these stairs and we finally get up there and we bring all these bags in and, you know, how your parents are just so excited to start unpacking. So my mother-in-law starts unzipping bags and she's opening bags. And in some of these suitcases, you've got like a lot of different spices and doll is like busted and broken everywhere. And so she's sitting there and she's again going through these bags. She's got lots of gifts that she brought us. Um, one gift in particular that um, she brought me was a sari that Srinu had given her, had bought her when he got his first job and his first paycheck. With that paycheck, he bought his mom this, this sari. And so she had a new blouse piece made uh, for me and, and she gave me the sari and she wanted me to have it because, you know, the sentimental value it had to her. Um, she wanted to give that to me. After she had gifted me that, she also gifted me a, a gold chain. And this gold chain, um, later I would come to find out the purpose of it. But when I first got this chain, I was like, why is your mom giving me fake jewelry? And Srinu looked at me and he was like super serious. And he's like, first of all, my mother would never give you fake jewelry. And that there just tells you, like, as an American, my parents never gifted me jewelry. I mean, if I got uh, jewelry, it was like something cheap off a little centerpiece in the middle of Walmart. Um, and it was more of a fashion piece of jewelry. Our parents just didn't give us those types of gifts. And so um, when she gave it to me, I didn't even know, like, what to do with it because I obviously didn't wear a whole lot of jewelry other than, you know, my wedding band that I was wearing. And it was one of those things where I took it and I, I definitely thanked her for it. I let her wrap me up in the sari and again, feeling fatter than a house because here I am pregnant and do any, any moment. We kind of had this little bit of a bonding experience, but, um, we had a big language barrier. My mother-in-law spoke very broken English. Um, and so it was really us just piecing words together and trying to figure out what the other one meant. And this would go on for my mother-in-law wound up staying with us for almost three or four months. My my father-in-law stayed for the first month and a half, two months, and then he had to head back because, like I said, he's a professor in Hyderabad, India, and he was, um, at the time, the dean of uh, a college there, and his students needed him, and he had this intense... Um, need to be there with those kids and be on campus. He, he lived for, he lived for being at school, teaching, being in that atmosphere that was home to him. So he had it back and my mother-in-law stayed. And that was for me, probably the toughest portion of, you know, meeting my in-laws because leading up to, um, my, my father-in-law's going back to India, you know, I would be in the shower and, you know, your senses are overloaded at that point. So I would be in the shower and I would be crying because my whole house smelled like garlic and ginger and Indian spices. And you could smell it through the hallways. And again, if you remember, Srinu didn't want to live in an area in a community where it was full of other Indians um, because he just didn't want to come home from work every day and have some auntie or uncle come over to the house and be stuck there all day or share any type of information with her because I'm, I'm kind of loose lipped in a way. Like I like to talk to people. I like to tell them my experiences. I like to hear about theirs. And Srini was just worried that, you know, we'd have these visitors and they would come and they'd overstay their welcome. And then he'd come home from work and he'd be really tired and he'd have to entertain. And it just wasn't something that he really wanted to have to do. And he didn't want to have to, um, 
worry about what information was getting back to who, because who knew who. And I could understand that after his parents finding out how we were together based on, you know, just friends of his, roommates of his that he was really close with. So I understood that. And with my mother-in-law, she, her and I developed this relationship where we learned from each other, just like you would learn if a child was going to kindergarten. Um, One of the funny things that I remember was Srinu would go off to work and my mother-in-law and I would be home. My father-in-law would be napping or reading or doing something like that. And she would need something. And uh, she would she would take me to the kitchen and she would, like a small child, uh, show me around. And she would go to the refrigerator and she'd take me to the refrigerator and she would open the refrigerator door and she would say, Paulo. And I would say, milk. And she would say, Rendu. And I would say, two. And she would say, Rendu Paulo. And I would say, okay, you need two milk. And then she would take me to the door to the apartment and she would show me the door and it was almost as if I was you know her and I, her and I were were definitely learning a lot from each other we didn't even realize it at the time um but it's obviously like hey I need milk go get it now um and so that was a lot of how I learned I'm not fluent in Telugu but I definitely uh know a lot of it and probably you know everybody jokes that if they left me in a village in India two things are going to happen either everybody in that village is going to learn English or I'm going to walk away fluent in Telugu. And, you know, I'm willing to bet on the first because it's been 20 years and it's been extremely difficult to try to learn the language because one, there's no real place that teaches the language. There's nowhere that you can really learn Telugu. There's a lot of resources available for Hindi and um, they don't really speak Hindi a lot in our family. So I guess I just never had the motivation to learn it. Even though we do these big, crazy weddings, you'd think that I'd want to learn it. Um, I just have had no desire to learn Hindi because when you go to India, um, there are a lot of people that are English speaking, unless you hit some of the um, parts of India where maybe it's a little bit more rural and stuff like that. They might not know it, but I always wanted to learn Telugu. And even uh, with our kids, I'd hoped that they would be bilingual, but they are in fact not. Um, But going back to uh, my in-laws and just that process. So they were with us and here I am waiting any day to, to have their firstborn grandson. But leading up to that, there were just so many little things that I wanted to learn how to cook Indian food. It was so important to me that Srinu chose to stay here in the U.S. because he wanted to be with me. And at that time, I couldn't even wrap my head around the fact of going to India and living there. And so, you know, there's one thing about visiting, but I was never, ever in the mindset that I would ever uproot my whole life and move to India. It wasn't even a thought that I had. My mom's here, my sister's here, my family's here. Um, And again, I have a daughter. So there was no way that at that particular time in our lives, we were going to be able to leave the U.S. and ever live in India. So I felt that it was a big sacrifice he was making. And if I could do one thing uh, for him that would make him feel a little less homesick, it was learn how to cook homemade food like his mom. So in this apartment, we used to have this kitchen where it was like a little breakfast area that sat up a little over the kitchen. And I would sit there every time she cooked breakfast, lunch, dinner, tea two times. And I would just watch how she cooked because there was no way 
on God's green earth that was ever going to make a recipe from how she was cooking because it was like, you know, she would take salt and she would pour it in her hand and then she'd throw it in the pot. And there was no rhyme or reason to like how much she was using of what because she had done it for so long. She just threw stuff here and there. There was no catching up with her. It was just taking uh, it all in and writing it down. So I had this notebook that I kept what the process was for this cooking. And it was really going to have to be one of those practice makes perfect. So I spent a lot of time doing this, watching her make egg fried rice, uh, chicken biryani, uh, everything you can think of that she would make, uh, dosa, Italy, a samba, everything. I just watched her make it because I really wanted to be able to do that for Srinu when his mom wasn't here. It was the least I could do. And so my first ever Indian dish that I was kind of forced to cook because my father-in-law was very adamant. He wanted me to cook for him. So I had made egg curry. And again, I, I'm not a big cook. Even before my mother-in-law came, I didn't really know how to cook that much American food. I was the youngest of the kids and my mom called me for dinner and I came. I had no desire to sit in that kitchen with her and learn. So I would sit there with my mother-in-law and I, I knew that she was cutting up vegetables and all that stuff. And I would watch how she would do things because in Indian cooking, a lot of this really depends on how you're cutting those vegetables. Now that I've been doing it for quite some time, I tell everybody like one of the big things is, uh, all these cousin sisters and family members and everybody wants to offer to like help you in the kitchen. And for me, that's like, ah, oh, that's so hard because I want my vegetables cut a very certain way. I'm very particular about them and I have a process and I just don't like people meddling in, even though they're definitely trying to help. I don't want them meddling in and like messing up how I'm doing things. Cause I really feel texture is a big part of food and that can often get a little bit thrown off by letting other people help cut the vegetables and, and stir my food and stuff like that. There's a process to my madness, I'm sure. But with my, um, father-in-law, he wanted me to make this egg curry. So I get in there, you know, and I'm, I'm doing the oil and I'm throwing these onions in there. I'm doing this temper, you know, and begin to throw these onions in there. And then I'm letting, letting those cook and I'm throwing tomatoes in there. And then I'm like, okay, masala powder. Do we use masala powder? Cause now I'm like so confused. So anyway, I wind up making this and, you know, you boil the eggs and you put them in there and I, I had it going and it was done. And this is like, again, my first ever experience with cooking any Indian food and egg curries it. So I take it out to my father-in-law and I had taken like a little taste of it. And I swore that anybody who eats this is, is their blood pressure is going to go through the roof and it's a potential heart attack. Cause I put so much salt because I didn't understand that with onions and tomato, you don't need a lot of salt because it just, it, it took it over. So I had told my father-in-law, like, gosh, you do not have to eat this. It's so horrible. Like, it's so much salt. But he was adamant. His his daughter-in-law made this. He's going to eat it. And we both sat down there and we laughed. And, and it was probably the first moment for me that I really felt that I was bonding with him. Uh, he was never, like, my father-in-law is not the type to, like, give you a hug. And there's no real affection that's ever shown. And so that was probably one of the most difficult things for me watching Srinu and his relationship with his parents, because it was apparent. It was so apparent that they love each other and that they would, they would do anything for each other. And when people say this, like, I would give my life for you. Like, I always heard that. And, you know, I knew it was like a phrase that people say to, to show someone how much they love they love the other person. But in Srinu's case and his parents' case, this was 
this was true to each word. Um, they, they would have given anything for their kids. And this wasn't just words. Um, and they'd never said it and they never had to say it because it was, it was there and you could feel it. Um, Srinu, I never, I, I never saw him hug his, his parents or kiss them. And it, and that wasn't a part of his upbringing. That wasn't part of their relationship. And so I used to ask him like, why don't you hug your mom? Or why don't you give your mom a kiss goodbye and hello? And why don't you hug your dad? And he's like, I just, I wasn't raised like that. And that, that stuck with me for years. Like even till today, it sticks with me. Like, why don't you hug your parents? And I'm a big hugger. So, um, with my father-in-law, never would he get away because pick him up from the airport. I'm giving him a big hair, bear, bear hug. And you could feel like when I hug him, he's like all stiff and all tight. Like, Oh, I hope this is over soon. But without fail, every single time I'd hug him and give him a kiss on his cheek and, you know, pick him when he'd pick, when we pick him, when we'd pick him up or, you know, we'd drop him off or he'd pick us up and, you know, he'd drop us off. I never failed. Like I feel I was raised, like you just don't, um, you, now that I'm saying this out loud, it's like, wow. Um, in the U S we, we always feel like we have to show that affection. And I think as people, we feel like we're not loved if we don't receive that physical affection. And, um, I think, for Indians in India, that's not a typical normal way of showing love. And so they don't need to feel that physical touch in order to know that they're loved. It's very much mentally there. Wow, that just hit home for me because I kept saying loyal like no other in my last podcast. And I said I didn't know what it was or why it was, but I think it I think that was a moment. So um really understanding that. My, my husband, his whole life was probably shown in so many ways how his parents loved him that he didn't need to be told it. And um, that says a lot about um, how they parented their children um, right from, from birth. You know, my father-in-law is the first educated man in his village, and I think he he always wanted more for his kids, and he never wanted his kids to go through things that he went through or feelings that he had based on, you know, being a provider and stuff like that. So it was really at that moment that my father-in-law and I, I really started seeing a side of him that I thought I might never see. Um, his laugh and his smile was, it was jovial. And um, I think that it was at that point that him and I, there was just something that clicked and we, we just connected on a certain level that, um, he was able to really start accepting me as his daughter-in-law. And at the time I didn't know it, but I, I used to write back and forth to him because he would enjoy getting emails in the mornings when he got to the office. And so I used to sign my emails, Dill, you know, for daughter-in-law, I would Dill. And it was a while after that I wrote, I realized that in Hindi, Dil meant heart. And so um, it was very appropriate. And even at the time, I hadn't realized it. So my father-in-law and I, we we had really started building that relationship, you know, doing things with him. And then um, he had to leave. So um, after we, and I'm going to skip a little bit over this because I don't think all of our listeners need to know the details of my uh, delivery and birth and stuff. But I wound up going in and being induced. Um, I, my my first induction failed, so went through all that torture, and then they sent me home. And um, I came home. I was 
so sad because on the 24th of December, uh, I was thinking that I was, I was going to have a baby to take home and we were going to have our first Christmas together as a family. And lo and behold, I came home, but I had no baby. That baby was still in my belly because the induction failed. And I wound up having to go back just after the, actually during the new year, because I gave birth uh, to Bradley on January 3rd. And then we came home and that was a whole experience in itself, uh, coming home with him. But, um, shortly after he was home, it was only but a a month or so that my father-in-law had to go back, but we did build this relationship while he was there. And it meant so much to have him present. And, you know, the great thing about And one of the things I feel maybe I'm so blessed by is we didn't really have these smartphones. And so every moment, no matter how awkward it was, we were forced to be together. Um, Yeah, we had TV, but we weren't big TV watchers. So we all spent like genuine time um, bonding and building relationships. And of course, I had my daughter. So my mother-in-law was building a relationship with her. And we were just trying to figure out like, how we were going to be a family because some of these things just weren't normal, right? Like my mother-in-law was trying to be so accepting of the fact that I was previously married. I had a child. Um, and now this child was in some ways her son's responsibility. And that was so hard for her as a mother, because again, this wasn't something that she, um, raised her kids thinking would ever happen. And now she was faced with it. And this was really the realization of like this, is our family and these are my in-laws and now it's time to really build a relationship with them and learn what it is that they're expecting from me as well as setting some type of uh, boundaries as far as like what I was I was expecting from them and so meeting my in-laws it was a tough one it was it was difficult at first but in the end it definitely um helped having them come here and experiencing um, things with, with them that otherwise, if they had not of decided that they were going to come here and accept us and meet their, their first grandchild, I, I don't know how this story would have came out. So I'm, I'm super thankful the way it did come out and the way it played out, but it was, it was a long, I would say the first two years of our marriage, I always tell people, you know, if I was offered, you know, millions of dollars to repeat the first two years of my marriage, I would happily decline. It was just such a tough time for me. It was a struggle. I, I didn't know that I was really going to be able to hang in there and get through it because didn't have any other friends that were going through that. I didn't know anybody Indian outside of Srinu, never had any friends that were, you know, culturally different. So this was all new territory for me. And thus is why that Married to India group, that forum that we created was like a lifeline for me because I would go in there, talk about certain things, get feedback from other people that were in that particular place, what they were doing. Definitely met, you know, at that time, what I thought was crazies, um, just people and how they were adapting to their lives, married to the Indian culture and like how extreme some people were versus how some people just were not adapting at all. And, you know, I, I looked at a lot of that and I would tell Serena like, Oh my gosh, like, where are we going to fall in this spectrum? And that is what has really been piecing itself together in the last 21, 23 years, um, actually for us. And there you have it, folks. That is me meeting my in-laws 
and um, the toughness of it all, um, I want to be able to, in my next podcast, which is going to be episode number six, talk about uh, Bradley and bringing him home uh, and their firstborn grandson. So guys, again, subscribe, like, share, and I hope that you will follow me everywhere.